0: How does the Old Testament law compare to the New Testament's teachings of grace? How does the Old Testament view women? Catch this and a lot more on a special edition of the Billator Christi podcast as we are joined by Dr. Amy Downey. Join us now as we step into the arena of ideas.
1: Listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the
0: sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast. And this is your host, Brian Chilton. I want to remind you that the Bellator Christie podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com. We do encourage you to go to the website, and while you're there, subscribe. By doing so, you'll receive all of the uh, articles in uh, your inbox for free. Also, you'll receive links to this podcast. Uh, You can also subscribe to this podcast by catching us on several different apps. We're on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, as well as Google Play. So go. If you'd like to take uh, Bellator Christie with you on the go, we do encourage you to go to any any of those apps, subscribe, and uh, be sure to share uh, share with your friends. Let people know about us and, and what we're doing here. We have a very special podcast today. Uh, We have with us Dr. Amy Downey. Uh, She's no stranger to the podcast, and in fact, uh, she is the uh, trendsetter, as we've said before. She is the first female uh, doctoral graduate of the Ph.D. program in uh, Theology and Apologetics at Liberty University, and she's also the uh, founder and president of Tezaka Ministries in uh, Texas. I always mispronounce this, Waxahachie. I think Waxahachie Waxahachie. (laughs) eventually one of these days I'm going to get that right Uh, but uh, the ministries in Texas and this uh, Tezaka ministries uh, is uh, is focused on sharing the gospel with Jewish individuals and uh, evangelizing Jewish individuals uh, the chosen people uh, sharing the good news with them and so it is a joy and privilege to have uh, Amy with us today and Amy thank you for being with us on today's podcast
2: well, thank you, Brian and, and I hope
0: everybody in your house is finally feeling a little better. Yes, uh, th- thankfully we uh, in fact we we meant to do this uh, podcast I think was last week. I think we've had to postpone it twice <laughs> because of different sicknesses in the household and and uh, luckily everybody I think's on the uh, upward men now so so hopefully that'll continue.
1: <laughs> well good.
2: And uh, and I'm trying to stay away from people here in Texas because we've got the flu going on pretty bad here in Texas. So. Yeah, this so, And I've actually seen people starting to wear those masks here in Texas, so that must mean it's bad. So.
0: You, but, you know, well,
2: hopefully, we, everybody, hopefully everyone in the Carolinas is doing pretty well.
0: You know, I think I've noticed people in this area doing the same thing as well. In fact, I went to a local uh, drugstore, recently and noticed that there were two or three people who had the masks on as well. So uh, it's, it's definitely that time of the year, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm kind of ready for warm weather <laughs> to try to get all of this stuff out. <laughs> well,
2: my mom is. She, she joins with me, Brian. So.
0: <laughs> well, today we want to talk about uh, the issue of the Old Testament law, and, and we're going to take a look at some uh, very different topics Today, considering Old Testament law, and as well as uh, how we can minister, uh, further minister to uh, Jewish individuals. Uh, recently, and, and a lot of this has come about uh, by a conversation I had with someone at Christiecom about uh, the whole issue of slavery, the Old Testament law. How do we understand Old Testament law, especially when it comes to the uh, the apparent "Quote unquote" allowance of of uh, certain types of slavery, things of this nature. How do we work through those things? But before we uh, before we get into that portion of the um, of the podcast, we want to first of all talk about uh, something that Amy notified me of that I wasn't quite uh, something of which I wasn't quite aware, and that was uh, individuals who were considered aganote. Uh, or Agonot. Uh, ex- describe to us the, um, the Agonot, who, who an Agonot is.
2: Okay, and by the way, very good pronunciation, Brian, so good job. <laughs> Thank you. An Agonot is a woman, and let me go back and explain what an, the word Agonot is in Hebrew. It's the Hebrew word for bound. and the Agonot is a, is a Jewish woman usually in the Orthodox or the ultra-Orthodox community, who is bound or chained. That's another good description of that. Because if she's married and she's needing to get a divorce because of abuse or neglect or abandonment, and the abuse could be physical, sexual, emotional, or something like that. She is bound to her husband. Because in the orthodox or ultra-orthodox community, you don't just go down to the courthouse and file for divorce that's not the way it works there's two forms of divorce you get a civil divorce a governmental divorce that's something she could do she could go down to the courthouse and get a civil divorce but in the community and the religious community she's still considered married to her husband she can mm-hmm. get all sorts of government divorces but that doesn't matter she's still married to her husband because she would still need to get a religious divorce. And the word for a religious divorce in Hebrew is the word get, G-E-T. So if we were in the South, she would be getting a get. Mm. But she can't get a get, because the only person who can file for a religious divorce in the ultra-Orthodox or their Orthodox, but especially the ultra-Orthodox communities, is the husband. And if he doesn't want the divorce, he can abandon her, he can abuse her, he can neglect her, he can be, he could be Simon Legree, but if he doesn't want the divorce, and he doesn't file for a get, she's stuck, she is bound, she is chained. She has been considered an agonote, and the plural for that is an agona. so women who are bound or chained. Is an agonaut, So singular is an agonaut, the plural is agonaut, Or yeah, the singular is agonaut, the plural is agonaut, And there is a large percentage—not a large, but a percentage—of women in the ultra-orthodox community that are bound or be chained because their husbands just won't give them a divorce. Mm. They can be the biggest jerks in the world, but if they don't want to give her a divorce sorry. And you would think to yourself, well, that's not fair. Why can't she get a get or receive a get? Well, in the ultra-Orthodox community, she doesn't go to synagogue. She's not commanded to do any other religious observance. She's not even really encouraged to pray. If she wants to know anything about God, she asks her husband. Her husband will tell her anything she needs to know about God. Hmm. So here is this woman who is bound and chained to the biggest jerk in the world. And then she can go to her rabbi who might or might not defend her. She will go to the community and say, he's abusing me. He is abandoning our children. He is neglecting. He won't support us. All of these different things, and if a community doesn't pay attention to her, she is abandoned by her husband. Mm. She is abandoned by her community. She is abandoned by her rabbi. And then ultimately, who does she feel abandoned by? She feels abandoned by God. Absolutely. So a lot of these women feel like they have another choice but to leave the ultra-Orthodox lifestyle And so when they leave the ultra-Orthodox lifestyle, they end up swinging from one pendulum from ultra-Orthodox to atheist or agnostic. Mm. Because why should I believe in a God who has bound me to this husband, who has abused me, who has neglected me, who doesn't care about my needs, my physical needs, my emotional needs, my spiritual needs? and who has done the same thing to my children. And that is why they are called agonot or agonah. And that that is the plight or the, the burden of the agonot or the agonot. And and that is one of the dirty little secrets of the ultra-Orthodox community that they don't want to talk about. And that's what I wanted to share with you today, Brian, is that we need to pray to them, pray pray not to them, but pray for them, and find ways of, of ministering to them, not only when they leave the community, but find ways of ministering to them as they're trying to find ways to
0: get help. You know, that just breaks my heart thinking about that, especially women who are caught in abusive relationships and, and things, you know, and and, you know, even for them and their children as well. You know, like you say, if they're married to a jerk or something like that, someone who who is mentally and physically abusing them, and then they have no out. There's no help for them whatsoever. But, you know, it seems to me that in in stark contrast to that, my mind immediately went to Jesus and how he ministered to women um, and, and ministered to all people, you know, regardless of where they were. And I think that I think that aspect shows us the importance that we do minister to to Agonotes. And so, how might we go about doing that?
2: Well, that's one of the things that we, as the DACA Ministries, are hoping to begin doing in the next year, this year, and the coming years is finding a way to minister to them. Um, one of the I don't know, and I'm sure you have a version of this with the W. Carolinas, but in Texas, and I, and I met with one of the women here in Texas, it's called the, the Christian Service Women's Corps, I think I pronounced that right, <laughs> um, but because a lot of these women, if they do, and most of them have to work, because I didn't tell you the other part of the story, um, they have to work, but they work in the community, so when they leave the community, they have to find a job, but what are their job skills? whatever they worked at in the community. So helping them find job training. Wow. Most of their education taught at the eighth grade level, so you have to help them get GEDs.
0: Oh my goodness. You
2: have to help them with job training, job skills. And and yes, I'm gonna get to the gospel in just a second, so don't worry about that, Brian. Oh yeah. But we have to help them find a life outside of the community so that they don't feel abandoned. And so we have to help them, we have to minister to them at the basic physical level so that they realize that there is a Jesus who ministers to them mm. not only spiritually but also emotionally, physically, you know, all the different leaves that we talk about, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, that might include counseling for the abuse that they dealt with in their in their previous life. And that's one of the things that we at the Dockin Ministries is is looking towards doing, finding a way of providing a place that they can go to that they will know that there's a safe place to go to. If If that looks like a women's shelter, if that looks like a job training organization, if that looks like a place where they could get their GED, so they could get a job outside of the community so that they no longer feel abandoned and then, at the same time, introduce them to a God, the God that loves them, that is a Jewish God, and uh, that loves them, that cares for them, that shows them that He loves them because they are women. Mm-hmm. And if I could, if I could go back and tell you a story real quick, uh, when I lived in New York, I was a uh, I went to, and this is kind of an oxymoronic organizational name, and I admit that freely. I went, to a meet, I went undercover to a meeting of the Jewish Orthodox Feminist Alliance. I know that sounds like an oxymoronic <laughs> name, Brian, but the Jewish Orthodox Feminist Alliance is called JOFA or Jaffa. And I, I was dressed very appropriately, long, skirt, long shirt with long sleeves, and, and I was very dressed, very subduedly. And uh, and I knew that they knew I didn't belong. And, and if you ever saw The Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that old movie from the 60s, I felt like they were pointing at me going, oh, not. <laughs> but they they let me stay. But I was, I was at this meeting, and, and what they were talking about at the, the sessions that I attended was, why can't we pray? Why can't we pray to God? Why can't we talk to God? Why doesn't God love us? And, and the idea was, why doesn't God love us because we are women? Why doesn't he pay attention to us? Why, why is it that just because we're women that we're different? Right. And my heart broke, Brian. Hmm. And it was all I could do. I didn't want to get kicked out, but it was all I could do not to just, Jump up on a chair and start singing "Jesus loves me and He loves you too" to them. (laughs) But that's how they feel, and we need to introduce them to a Jesus who paid attention to them, like Mary and Martha. Absolutely. Who made sure that the first people who saw Him alive, Mary Magdalene Mm -hmm. and the other women, and that He pays attention and loves them because they are women.
0: Absolutely.
2: But but also at the same time. Take care of their physical and emotional and psychological needs, because we can't just say, "Here's Jesus; you've got Jesus now. Run and be free."
0: Absolutely, we I was thinking the exact care same of thing. All
2: the needs at the
0: same time. I was actually thinking and the exact a- same thing, especially in this go regard. Ahead, whenever they don't have, whenever they don't have any other means available, I mean, you know, obviously, you can't just say, you can't just say, "Here's Jesus; now go on your merry way," because they don't have anywhere to go. They don't have anywhere
2: to go. They're having to start over from scratch, and and there are organizations, and there's one called Footsteps, and it's for uh, Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox who are leaving the community, but it doesn't have Jesus included. Right. So, and, uh, and it's an organization that does help them with the physical and the emotional, and the counseling issues, but it doesn't include the spiritual. Wow. So what good does that do, ultimately?
0: Absolutely. It, you
2: know, it doesn't help the ultimate end need, the end spiritual need. And that's what we at Sadaka Ministries are wanting to do, is to help them with all of the needs, physical, emotional, psychological, and ultimately the greatest need all of us have is spiritual. Amen. And so that's what I, you know, and I ask you if we can include these two questions at the beginning of our, our podcast together, because of most Christians they know about what happens to a Muslim woman when she leaves the life and we should pray for Muslim women because they are abused greatly but most people don't realize what it's like for an ultra-orthodox woman woman when she is deciding to leave the life and we need to pray for them too
0: absolutely and I'm so glad you mentioned this Amy because this I had no I had no clue that this happened in the ultra-Orthodox community and, and, and really had never even heard the term until, until you mentioned that. And, and uh, so obviously we as Christians definitely need to reach out and help um, Aganah <laughs> the, the Aganote woman, Aganah the plural. And so uh, obviously we want to also pray and support Zaka Ministries as they're reaching out and helping um, Aganah. Women and this kind of goes coincides with the discussion that we were uh, looking at as well, as far as the Old Testament law. Um, one question I have that kind of coincides with this is: is is this was this is this an ancient practice or is this something that I mean? Because I know the ortho, ultra orthodox Jewish community seeks to strive to to uh, to hold the law. Um, so is, was this an, is this an ancient practice, or is this something that just came through recent years?
2: This, actually, that's a really good question, Brian. <laughs> uh, this is a—it's ancient, but it's not biblical ancient. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Right. Um, it's, it's, an, it's probably in the last thousand years. So it's old, but it's not that old. In Judaism, when, when you consider Judaism as 3,500 years old, it's, it's not that old. Right. But it's not, but it is, it's probably, it's hundreds of years old, but it's not that old. And it's probably, you can date it back to in the 16th, 1700s that they started putting such severe regulations, especially in the ultra-Orthodox community.
0: Because that kinda, cause I can hear as we talk about the Old Testament, we talk about Old Testament law, we talk about you know, Scripture, how it relates to um, the New Testament. And, and, and let me just preface this by saying that I believe that it's important for Christians to read and study the Old Testament because, as I've always heard it said, the, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old yep. Testament revealed. So Christianity right. is really essentially fulfilled Judaism Uh, Right In its purest form So want to make that distinction But as we mentioned before I was talking um, I was encountered by an atheist Who argued that the Bible Was a human invention Because Leviticus allowed for slavery Um, How do we respond to claims That that seek to discredit the scripture Due to difficult passages Or due to Old Testament passages uh, Like the slavery issue Well and you know
2: that's one of the especially difficult passages for, for us as Southern Baptists because of how Southern Baptists began. And so we have to acknowledge that Southern Baptists interpreted those passages badly in, in during the slave days of the South. We just have to say, we messed up.
0: Oh, absolutely. But let me
2: tell you what those passages truly should be interpreted. But I think I think a little honesty on our part that especially we in the South, uh, especially those who advocated for slavery in the South, utilized those passages and utilized them wrong during the slave days. I think that needs to be acknowledged, but then we say that was a sin, that was our wrong, but let me tell you what those passages truly mean. And I think that will catch them by surprise and kind of weaken their arguments if we acknowledge that, hey, we messed up. Right. But what if we if we look at those passages in Leviticus and i want to recommend a book when I'm finished with my answer if that's okay. Um, if you look at slavery in Leviticus, it is not southern slavery in the sixteen hundreds through the end of the Civil War. That is not what that looks like. Slavery it was more of an indentured servitude and either you could in, Define indentured servitude, or I could define indentured servitude. I don't care who defines it. Go for it. But slavery in in the Old Testament was not southern slavery. It was an it was a form of indentured servitude. If someone had a debt, if I owed Brian a million dollars, and I, you probably wish I owed you a million dollars, but if I owed you a million dollars. And there was no way I could pay that off, because I can't, Brian. I, I owe a lot of money to lift university right now. Um, <laughs> you and I, me both,
0: uh, and my bill's growing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but if I owed you a million dollars, there's no way I could pay it off. But I came to you, Brian, and I said, I will spend the next six years, and, and I'm using that term six years very crucially, because that's part of the biblical mandate of Leviticus, And I will work for you as an indentured servant to pay off my debt and I agreed to be your indentured servant for the next six years to pay off my debt to you and and the reason I use the word six is because that is all that Leviticus allowed right because after six years Brian who quote-unquote owns me because I am your indentured servant at the seventh year has to set me free that is what Leviticus is talking about when they use the word slave. and and at the, end, at the end seven times seven and, we, and you hear this phrase in, in, in Leviticus it's called the year of jubilee Everyone's debt is supposed to be set free, even if you still owed. If even if I still owed Brian money, and I said, "Well, I still owe you money, so I'll, ne- I'll work another six years and another six years." At the end of the forty-nine years, all my debts are wiped free. But after six years, you're supposed to set me free, even if I still owed you money, because the indentured servant idea was not supposed to last past six years. And so the ideal idea was I, I figure out when the year of Jubilee is and I try to say, I'll work for you for six years right before the year of Jubilee comes due so that you can't say I owe you more money. And that's the idea of indentured servitude in Leviticus. And so when we translated, when the translators translated it from Hebrew into English it was also during the time of slavery in in the British Isles and, and across the world they didn't wanted to call it indentured servitude they just called it slavery right. so it was actually a bad translation uh, into English and so that and that's how it came from indentured servitude into slavery and uh, so it's not that Leviticus allowed slavery, it allowed me to pay off my debts to you, Brian. And after seven years, my debts were paid. And you couldn't say that I still owed you money. Right. And you couldn't make me be your slave again, or your indentured servant again. And that's the idea that uh, of indentured servitude in Leviticus. And what... The children of Israel was punished for why they were sent into uh, into Babylon was they stopped obeying the laws of indentured servitude. They would not set their servants free. So God said, "Okay, you're not setting your servants free. You're not obeying the laws of indentured servitude. You're not obeying the law the law of jubilee. I'm gonna let you be an indentured servant." For as long as you kept people, you know, in in slavery or indentured servitude, they were punished because they stopped obeying the laws of indentured servitude. That's why they went into into bondage in Babylon.
0: Now, what so people don't
2: understand. go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry.
0: One of the things, and I, and I was going back to his his uh, the the post that he that he left. Uh, he was asking about particularly Leviticus 25 verses 44 through 46 that supposedly, quote-unquote, according to his interpretation, talks about slavery for life. But to me, it seems like if you take it in a greater context of it, then it would be referring back to even still the indentured servitude that you were speaking of. But uh, but I'm uh, reading from the CSB, it was talking about uh, your male and female slaves are to be from the nations around you. You may purchase male and female slaves... Uh, you may also purchase them from the aliens residing with you, or from the families living among you, and uh, these may become your property. He goes on to say, um, "You may leave them to your sons after you inherit the property." But but could this not still be considered that indentured servitude that you were mentioning? Exactly, and and you have to look at, and that's
2: what they don't like to do. And like them, and atheists are especially good at this and it's the word proof texting and uh, and and you can explain it or I can explain it later but proof texting is taking one verse out of here and taking one verse from here and uh, but even those people that were captured in war and and I know we're going to talk about warfare in just a second but even those people that were captured in war you had to be. You had to treat them as indentured servitude, indentured servants. And even though that they were considered for life, it wasn't that they were slaves. That they were considered a part of your household. Right. They were considered a part of your family. And even if you, even if they were part of your family, it wasn't that they were slaves. That they were part of who you were. And they were. They were. In a woman like the Assyrians, if you were captured by the Assyrians, the Assyrians would take the the people that were captured. The Assyrians would capture a nation. They would, they oftentimes they would skin the people alive, or they would take them and move them over, and and so that there were no other people left of that group. If, If an Israelite captured someone in warfare and made them a part of their family. As a servant, and again, we have to realize the word slave is an English translation, and really it should be servant.
0: Servant,
2: yeah. They they become a part of your family, they become a part of who you are. You have to treat them as you would a a family, a brother, a sister. You cannot abuse them. There are other passages throughout Leviticus where you are forbidden from abusing your servant. And uh, and so the passage, and I have to, I don't know if you're at this age, but I have to put
0: on my reading glasses. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I have horrible eyes. In fact, I have to either wear, uh, I'm wearing my glasses now, I either have to wear my glasses or contacts. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, I can't see past my hands. So. <laughs> I,
2: I do as well. Um, but you have to read, and if you go on down to, um, if you read the rest of the passage of Leviticus 25, it again talks about the year of Jubilee. So the whole passage of Leviticus 25 uh, from verse let's see, verse 8 to verse 54 is talking about the year of Jubilee. And it's talking about the rite of redemption and all of these passages. And he took two verses out of 40 and doesn't pay attention to you know, if you look at verse 53, they are to be treated as workers, hired from year to year. You must see to that that those to whom they owe service do not rule over them ruthlessly. I'm reading from the American Standard. And so he took two verses, uh, the whole passage dealing with the year of jubilee, to say, look, it's a man-made invention. Mm. And and so the whole context of Leviticus 25. Yeah, and and that's what a lot of people who want to look at uh, different passages to beat us up with without looking at the whole context.
0: It, you're absolutely right. Verse 54, if he is not redeemed in any of these ways, he and his children are to be released at the year of Jubilee. Uh, you know, right. for the I- Israelites are my servants. And even he's even comparing saying, you know, the, the Israelites are my chosen people. These are my servants. So all of this is is put under the authority of, of, of God, realizing that God is the ultimate authority and that they are to treat one another um, as they would want to be treated because God is over all of us, really.
2: And I remember, to go back, why were the children of Israel ultimately taken into Babylonian bondage? Because they I mean, yes, they worshipped other gods and all of those things. But Jeremiah told them, you violated the law of jubilee. You violated, you did not set your, slave, your servants free. So you're going to experience what you enforced onto other people. Mm. And see, the law, the year of jubilee is a very misunderstood con- uh, passage and, and concept, because we don't preach, and I'm sure you do, Brian, because I've seen your Facebook post. <laughs> but very few pastors preach from the Old Testament, and they don't understand the year of jubilee concept. Or if they do, they just try to pass it off as an eschatological concept. But they don't understand what it means in, in the application of, of the Old Testament application. It's about freedom. It's about liberation. It's about about truly experiencing liberation with and through God. Wow it's not just an eschatological application it's about real freedom and liberty in and through God because he wants us to be set
0: free. Amen. If we want to make a, new,
2: a a a modern application to it, can I can I recommend one book to your listeners?
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: Um and it and it might sound a weird app on a book to it might the title might sound weird but uh it's by a guy named Brian J Dodd d-o-d-d and it's called the problem with paul that's the big title and and he what he answers was paul evidence. was he approved was he anti-semitic why did he condone slavery because probably your your atheist friend is going over to new testament passages where it looks like paul approved of slavery right but again you have to understand the, the context of Paul of where he was he was in Rome he was in he was in the Roman Empire and uh, and and I love the actually you could tell it's a little bit book is a little old but and how might Paul have fared on the Oprah Winfrey show <laughs> so, but, uh, it's a really good book because it actually says stop trying to interpret the Bible to the 21st century and start looking at the Bible in the context of where it was written and mm-hmm. when it was written, and uh, and and really didn't realize when the translators of the King James and 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 all of that were translating the Scriptures, uh, slavery was going on, and not the good kind of slavery, the bad the bad kind of slavery not that there's a good kind of slavery, but i think you understand what i'm trying to say
0: absolutely and so
2: they wanted to justify what they were doing to the africans so they translated service servitude as slavery so they could attempt to try to scripturally
0: justify it that's so, did I help point. a little bit absolutely <laughs> helped a lot helped a ton and you know talking about these difficulties you know um the, the, my friend, who the, my atheist friend, didn't really uh, get into this aspect, but I'm sure it, it, it's something that I have encountered uh, before. There's also the objection uh, about warfare. Why do you have warfare in the Old Testament? Why did it seem as if God approved wars, like uh, commanding Joshua to go certain places, like Canaanites, uh, to fight against the Canaanites, and all these different uh, societies? Uh, how how would you respond to that?
2: Well, that's a tough one. We'll just have to say that's a tough one. And I don't know if you if you've taken the seminar with Dr. Roden on Joshua and Judges. If you haven't, and you have, if you have a chance, take it, Brian. But the word is harem or haram, and it's the idea of total destruction. And that's a tough issue. Why why did God tell Joshua, you know? Kill everyone. Kill the adults. Kill the children. Kill the cows. Kill the kill everybody. I mean, kill, why would you kill a cow? What? what did the cow do? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a tough issue. And uh, but here's here's why you have to again go back to Leviticus. What is what is the theme of Leviticus? And a lot of people want to talk about the offerings. And I want to talk about, you know, the sacrifices. But the theme of Leviticus, in and, and my understanding, in my exegetical understanding of Leviticus, is to be ye holy as I am holy. Amen. How many times did Moses write that phrase in Leviticus? And I, by the way, I actually love Leviticus. But be ye holy as I am holy. How many times did Moses write that phrase? And... But how do you be holy? You have to se- separate yourself from the world. You have to keep yourself separate and purified and holy from the world. So there's a two-part answer to this question. Um, so they're going into, going into the Promised Land. They're going into Canaan. And were the Canaanites holy? No. They worshiped other gods. They were, they were decadent. They were debased. They, they practiced all forms of debauchery. And God knew that if they did not completely separate themselves from, from the Canaanites, they would begin worshiping the false gods, the gods of Baal. They would begin practicing the same debased, debased practices of the Canaanites. And you know what? They did. Right. Because they did not completely obliterate the sinfulness of, of what was going on in Canaan. And so God said, Be holy as I am holy and they did not eliminate all of the the Canaanite practices and they did not eliminate all of the sinfulness in Canaan. And so they soon fell into the practices of bell worship and the worship the the, the horrible practice of worshiping Molech and all of those different things God was trying to protect his chosen people from sin he was trying to protect them like he tries to protect us don't get involved in don't 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 fall prey to temptation keep yourself separate from temptation because if you start if you start you know associating with temptation you're going to fall prey to temptation That's number one. So eliminate temptation from life. That's our modern application.
0: Absolutely.
2: And, and if you don't, if you start playing around with temptation, you're going to start doing it. Mm-hmm. And because he wanted a holy people. And the second reason, he had, the Israelites ran slavery for 400 years. And the Canaanites had had a chance to redeem themselves, follow God, all of those things for 400 years, and they said no. They had had a chance, because there was a remnant, there were other brothers of Isaac and Jacob that were left in, in Canaan. They could have followed God. They knew the truth. The story of Rahab proves that they knew the truth. They knew what was going on. They had a chance to talk to God. But they had said no for 400 years. Hmm. And so God's mercy, God's grace is limited. He will only go with us so far before he says, I'm done. You've had your chance. I'm done. You have to suffer the consequences. Excellent. It's not that God wanted to eliminate the Canaanites. They chose
0: to eliminate themselves. That's a good and way of putting it. And that's the idea
2: of what happened in Joshua and Judges.
0: Now, Paul Copan, uh, in his uh, book, is God a Moral Monster? <laughs> he, he makes the yeah argument. I read that one. He, I think, he makes the argument that uh, some of this may may have been militaristic language. Um, he even goes so far, and I've heard some people who have a problem. With this saying that that some of it may be exaggerations in you know in in destroying everything, D- do you think that that it's an exaggeration, a militaristic speech of some sort, or do you think? H- how do you interpret that?
2: I'm a bit of a literalist. <laughs> so,
0: well, yeah, I'm, more and I'm than a bit
2: of a literalist.
0: I, I'm the same way, really. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, when God says eliminate sin from your life. He means to eliminate sin from your life. Right. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm not going to name things, because I know some of my former students from when I taught college, or, or they, listen to, they listen to the podcast, especially when I'm on. So I, I'll tell you, you, you have a built-in audience on Sunday. Awesome, um, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's a former student that some of these students know, I warned this student, because she, I, I just hold the gender, so I'll go ahead and use the pronoun. I warned her, don't associate with these people. These, and She's like, oh, they're just fun. I said, don't associate with these people. Oh, but they're fun. You know, I'm not going to fall in with them. Actually, I'm a good witness to them, because they can see my life. And I'm like, don't associate with these people. <laughs> you're, not, they, you're not, you're not, you're a Christian are walk is not strong enough. I I warned her, I warned her, I warned her, I warned her. You're not strong enough in your relationship with God to not fall prey to the temptation, you know. And and I warned her, and I warned her, and I warned her. And and now she dabbles in Wicca. She dabbles in all the sins that she was associating with. And, And that is, again... What God was saying, eliminate all the aspects of sin that could tempt you. Even the cows. You know, even the the sheep. Because what were those sheep used for? Those sheep and those cows and all the animals, what were they ultimately used for? They were used for pagan sacrifices. Hmm. You know, what what did God tell every good king in Judah? tear down the, the the pole, the Asherah poles. And what is, some of them did, some of them didn't. They left them up. Oh, those won't hurt anybody. And as soon as the good king was gone and a bad king came back, what did the people want to do? They started worshiping those, those poles again. Remove all the vestiges of sin or they will grab you and they will take you down.
0: And I, and I think, think that is... That's such an important point for all of us because I've I've known people and without naming any any names or anything like this, uh, I, I've known people who have had problems with drugs, have had problems with alcoholism, and they 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 start on the path of recovery, but they still associate with the people who lead them. It, who are bad influences, and before you know it, they're back to the same tactics that they were before. And so, exactly. I think that's such exactly. an important word.
2: And, and and that is that was what the point of the total destruction sure what it was about. But again, you have to realize and go go back to the story the, the story of Rahab. Rahab, they had heard, they knew, they had been given a chance. For the 40 years that the Israelites were wandering, they knew what was going on, but they had also been given a chance for 400 years while the Israelites were in captivity. So they had a 440 years to turn, and they didn't. Mm. And God's mercy and grace only go so
0: far. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, Amy, not to try to cut this short because that's an important word, but we have about five minutes left, believe it or not. Uh, and I want to get to this last question. And so uh, the last question is, were women highly valued in the Old Testament? And this is this is another issue, and, and this may even need to be the a, a topic of a future podcast that we could do together sometime. But uh, were just, just kind of the very brief answer, were women valued... In the Old Testament, as you know, we talk about the, the, the agonot uh, woman. How do you see this in the Old Testament about the value that, were, that was placed upon women? Um, yes and no. Uh,
2: yes and no, meaning the Israelite, the Hebrew, the Jewish women were more highly valued than if you were not Jewish but were they valued the way we might like them to in our 21st century perspective no but again we have to recognize that was 3500 years ago and not today
0: right
2: and that's a really short answer to a really tough question but we have to recognize that if you looked at other cultures in pre-Jesus time you don't see women mentioned at all Hmm. but yet you see women mentioned throughout the testament throughout the hebrew scriptures which is unheard of in other cultural contexts and you have greek goddesses but those were those were figments those were big women those were fictional women right but do you ever see women mentioned outside of fictional characters in any other culture and, and their ancient writings. No. Um, and but you do see and I have I, I'm working on a book on the ten women in the line of Jesus.
0: Oh wow. And
2: except they're for Mary, they're all Old Testament women. And 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 they're not they're not all pure women. I mean obviously Rahab was a harlot. And Tamar pretended to be a harlot and and I had, uh young women go, "I'm gonna to have to go read Genesis again, <laughs> but if you read but if you read the scriptures, the women were flawed characters, flawed individuals, but they were mentioned, and they were they were recognized for their character and we can look at these women and realize who they were and they were recognized for for being valuable and being the mothers of Jesus. Wow. And so yes, but no in our 21st century mindset. And I know that that has opened the door for probably another discussion. but I only had five minutes to answer you. <laughs>
0: well, and I look forward to it. You know, and 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 we always have some wonderful conversations. And I think that might be that that might be a sequel that we may have to do uh, here sometime soon in the future. Because uh, you know that, and I'm very interested in hearing. Which, of course, I know you don't want to give a, you know a lot of it out until your book comes out. But uh, right, the, so, so a lot of the women. That you mentioned are very important figures and and something well worth well worth researching and and discussing. Um, but Amy, ultimately, I, to, to to cap this conversation off, you know, talking about women, you know, it's amazing that we see that, uh, like you said, even though women weren't valued the way they are in twenty first century, they were highly valued in regards to other cultures. And I think that you see that that makes even more amazing the uh, impact. That Jesus had in having women who were the first to to be his witnesses of the resurrection and uh, the high value he placed on women so ultimately as we follow the progressive revelation taking place even the New Testament we see the uh, uh, the tremendous value that Jesus places upon women there as well
2: exactly and even Paul even though some people try to make Paul out to be a the first president of the Man-Hating Woman Club, you know, <laughs> he loved women too.
0: Absolutely. So,
2: and that's a whole other discussion as well. So hopefully I, I, we've teased the audience enough.
0: Yeah, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we're going to have definitely have to have a sequel here. This, <laughs> I'm already getting excited about that discussion as well. But Amy, it's always a privilege to have you with us. If people are interested in Tezaka Ministries, where would they go uh, and how would they get in contact with you?
2: Well, there's a couple of different ways. You can go to Facebook and uh, you can friend me. I'm, I'm friendable. And my name is Amy, A-A-Y, Or you could go to our ministry Facebook page, which is Zadaka Ministries, P-Z-E-D-A-K-A-H Ministries. Or you could go to our website, which is www.Zedakah Ministries. I'll spell it again dot ministries.org and as always I want you guys to know it Tzedakah is the Hebrew word for righteous or you can also uh, follow us on Twitter at Elijah's Witness Elijah, like the prophet Elijah Elijah's Witness. And You can also find us on Instagram and all
0: social media
2: outlets. We try to be everywhere so we can meet everyone
0: somehow well, Amy, it's always a privilege. We thank you for being with us today. You've been listening to the Bellator Christian Podcast, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena like this.
1: The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristian.com or its affiliates. Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of BellatorChristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonis, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit BellatorChristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes. Tune in and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.
0: According to a recent poll by Barna Group, only 37% of Americans report reading the Bible once a week or more. While the Bible's place in America as a cultural icon endures, it's not always perceived as a life-changing book. Even as Bible ownership remains strong, readership and engagement are weak. Yet, as evangelical Christians, we believe that Bible reading is the number one indicator for spiritual growth. In fact, research tells us that this is true. So how do we encourage more engagement with Scripture's transformational message? The answer is complex, but one factor cannot be denied. The importance of a Bible optimally translated for today's English reader. Some translations are more literal to the original languages, but harder to read. Other translations are easy to read, but stray away from important accuracy and precision. But Bible translation does not need to compromise on accuracy or readability. That's why I would like for you to consider the Christian Standard Bible translation. The translation team is passionate about enduring that, ensuring that ancient truths are communicated to a modern audience as faithfully and clearly as possible. On the one hand, the CSB provides an accurately text for faithful sermon preparation and serious study, translated straight from the biblical languages by scholars who love God's Word. On the other hand, it does not compromise readability and clarity for those who may be less familiar with the traditional and sometimes difficult vocabulary retained in some translations of the Bible. We also know that God's Word is meant to be shared. A translation that is both faithful and readable opens the door for every believer to share the Bible with someone who has read it for a lifetime or with someone who has never before encountered its life-changing message. The CSB has become my favorite translation and is one that is exclusively used on bellatorchristie.com. I encourage you to go get your copy of the CSB today.